Well, good morning, everyone. I feel like we kind of have a little bit of a Thanksgiving kind of lull today. So being that my former profession was a personal trainer, I'd just like to ask everyone to get up and we're going to do some calisthenics to get some blood moving. Not really. But as we go through this, I pray that you would listen, that you would lean into God's word. I'm going to open us with a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for today and for the gift of fellowship and gospel community that you brought us here together, Lord, that this is a divinely ordained appointment, that we, your children, would be in this place together to hear the truth of who you are from the Word. And maybe there's someone here today, maybe there are several here today, God, that have never truly given their lives to you. Maybe they've given their lives to religion Maybe they've given their lives to an institution, but they've never truly given their lives and their hearts to Jesus, our King, our Todah, our Thanksgiving. And so today, God, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, that you would work in and through the preaching and the teaching of your Word, that you would exchange stone hearts for flesh, that you would do the miracle that only you can, that you would bring dead bones to life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, Thanksgiving. In Hebrew, it's the word Todah. And King Jesus is our Todah. As I was studying this week, I noticed it's strikingly absent in almost all of Scripture. Almost completely absent in all of Scripture. We don't see it in Genesis, we don't see it in Exodus. We see it mentioned a couple of times by God in Leviticus, but we don't see it being acted upon. We don't see it in Deuteronomy. We don't see it in Joshua or Judges. We don't see it. We don't see it in people like Adam. We don't see it in Noah. We don't see it in Abraham or Moses. We don't see it in Joshua or Caleb. We don't see it in King Solomon. If you're sitting there saying, well, what is that thing, Pastor? Thanksgiving. It's strange, but it's true. You might see it implied. You might see it hinted at, but you don't actually hear or read in Scripture Thanksgiving. It's so rare, in fact, the first time, the first person that we read about giving thanks to God is this ostracized little musician, a little shepherd boy rejected by his own father, by his own brothers, his own family, that when Samuel came along to appoint the next king of Israel, that God said, it's from the house of Jesse, and Jesse lined up all of his sons. David wasn't even among them. But then, in Psalms, an example from Psalm 35:18, David writes, in fact, he sings, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you, God, with the multitudes. Don't you find that a little strange? I did. Maybe you don't care. Maybe it's, it's not there, it's not there. But no one is giving Thanks. If you're the detective type, my wife and I, we love to watch the TV shows like CSI and figure out who done it 
If you're the detective type and you enjoy research and investigation, examine the Psalms. And when you do, when the word thanks or thanksgiving or someone giving thanks, look at the context. As we've said many times before here from the pulpit, from teaching, is that when you find praise in Scripture, it's always two things. It's always public and it's always vocal. Always. I'm surprised I didn't get a bigger response. We've only covered that a hundred times. Always public and always vocal. And I have people every time come up after and they say, Pastor, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I can praise God in my shower at home. And in fact, you can't praise God. Because according to Scripture, praise is always public. So unless you've got multiple people in the shower with you, and it's always vocal, you can't keep it inside your head. Oh, praise God. It's always public, and it's always vocal. You can do other things, but you can't praise. Not according to Scripture. And almost every time we find thanksgiving in Scripture, it has to do with a crowd. David, right here in Psalm 35, verse 18, he's saying, I will give you thanks. Not, I'm giving you thanks right now. I will give you thanks. The reason why I will, and I'm not right now, is because there's nobody around. It's just me. I can't truly praise you. I can't give thanksgiving by myself. I can't do it. Thanksgiving, not just public, but there's an enormous crowd. That's what thanksgiving is like. You say, well, maybe, Pastor, maybe that's just in the Old Testament. It's not. It's not exclusively Old Testament. We find it very rarely in the New Testament as well. Outside of Jesus himself, Anna in Luke's gospel, the prophetess, she gives thanks. Only one of the ten lepers, y'all remember? Only one of the ten lepers turned back around to go back and thank Jesus for what he had done. The Pharisee's prayer, y'all remember? The Pharisee, I thank God that I'm not like other people. He's giving thanks but he's missing the whole point. He's missing the whole point. Thank you, God, that I'm not like Vincent, that I'm not like Tanya. Thank you that I'm not like Brittany or Christine or Ava Lee. Thank you, God, because I think of myself as being so much better. You missed it. That's not Thanksgiving at all. So we find it, but it's very rare in Scripture. The story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, it's in all four gospel accounts. One of the things I want to mention here is just as Christians in our language, don't say the four gospels, right? Because there aren't four gospels. There are four gospel accounts. There's one gospel, okay? Just a little teaching point. But when you say the four gospels, there's one gospel, Jesus is king. That's the gospel. There are four witnesses that testify to the truth of the gospel that Jesus is king, but there aren't four gospels. It's in all four gospel accounts. Jesus feeding the 5,000. We know the what. We know that Jesus turned just a few fish and loaves into a whole lot. 
enough to feed 20, maybe 30,000 people. I had someone ask me one time when I preached on this, and they said, where'd you come up with 20, 30,000 people? I said, well, Scripture clearly says multiple times there were 5,000 men. It wasn't a male-only club. That was the way that they counted. If there were 5,000 men, and you assume that many of those men had wives, and many of those men that had wives had children, do the math. It's not just 5,000. Jesus feeds this huge crowd, so we know the what. He turned the fish and the loaves. We know the where, right? If we do a little bit of research, we can find out that it's in the northern part of Galilee, close to Capernaum. We know the hue, who Jesus was there. Disciples were there. There's a huge crowd. We know the when. The disciples said, send them home. It's already late. So we know the when. We know the how. It was a miracle by the Holy Spirit. But why? Why? Do you ever ask yourself, why then? Why there? Why with fish and loaves? Why those specific people? Why? Why? This is where I do my voice at least once a week. You get the person that says, oh, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Pastor, we don't ask those kinds of questions of Scripture. It's a mystery. It's not a mystery. See, what we have to do is we have to dig into Scripture. We've got to lean into it, and we've got to ask the why questions. John 6.11. Why did Jesus give thanks? We don't understand it. We don't even bother to ask the why questions. So what we end up with is we just imitate things that we see and we read in Scripture. We don't understand it. So we just say, oh, that's something that happens, so let's just imitate it. Imitation is not the highest form of flattery. It's lame. You ever been out with someone and you've been at their house or you know them, you know, you know them privately, but then when they go out in public, all of a sudden they want to put on a show. Hey, everybody, let's hold hands before we eat. Let's hold hands and say, God, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to your service. Why are you saying that? Did Jesus ever hold hands with people? Did he ever ask to bless the food to the nourishment of his body and his body to the Father's service? And we just make stuff up. Well, it sounds good. We imitate. But we've got to look at the context. We've got to look at the context. Matthew 14, 13. Whether you look in Matthew's gospel at chapter 14, you look in Mark chapter 6, Luke 9, or John 6, whichever account of the feeding of the 5,000 you want to look at, it doesn't really matter. But what we know is it happened right after what? Somebody lost their head, right? John the Baptist was just beheaded for standing his ground, for not caving in to Herod, for not telling Herod what he wanted to hear. Oh, sure, it's okay that you marry your brother's wife. It's okay that you do that. No. And John the Baptist said, you can't do that. It's an abomination. It's wrong. He was thrown in prison, and he had his head cut off. That's the context. And right after that, Jesus in Scripture, 
It says that he went off to be alone. He went to a solitary place to be alone. And we ask, why did Jesus go to a solitary place? Why did he want to be alone? What did he do there? What did Jesus do? He prayed, right? What did he pray for? We don't really know, or there are some whispers. I don't want to say it too loud. That's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus, he wasn't sulking, he wasn't pouting, he wasn't depressed. He was eager to glorify the Father. John the Baptist was gone. His predecessor, his cousin, beheaded. Prophecy is unfolding. Jesus goes and he prays to the Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what he taught to his disciples, right? He prayed for a todah opportunity. You say, Pastor, I don't know that word. Is that English? Is that English, Connor? Todah? No, it's Hebrew. It's the word for thanksgiving. He prayed for a todah opportunity to give thanks to the Father, to fill the void because hardly anyone else is giving thanks to God from the very beginning. We don't see it. We don't find it. We get together today as a national holiday, and we watch football, and we eat turkey. But this past week, when you celebrated Thanksgiving, did you put things on pause at your house? Did you put things on pause and outside of the football and the pumpkin pie and the turkey? Did you talk about Jesus at all? Or was it the obligatory prayer? And now we've got that done. Let's get on with our day. Jesus filling the void. What's required of the Todah? If you have a Bible with you, and I hope that you do, turn to Leviticus 7. I've covered this in the past. I've done whole sermons on it in the past for Thanksgiving. So we're just going to do a quick review. The Todah sacrifice. Leviticus 7, 11 through 15-ish. It's an offering a free will, voluntary offering. It's not mandatory at all. You're not making up for something that you've done wrong. It's thanksgiving. It's a way of taking something that you have, bringing it to God and saying thank you. And how many times do we see it in Scripture? Hardly ever. Hardly ever. And we wonder what the problem is. There's a huge cost involved. If you read through all of the food that's involved in this, you might stop and say, that's pretty expensive. It might be akin to what we do today when we have a wedding banquet. When you have this lavish spread and there's food for hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe even thousands, there's a big cost involved. A lot of money. In order to eat all that food, you have to have a huge crowd, right? What happens if you order all the food and nobody comes? It's a waste. So you got to have people. You got to invite everyone, everybody that you know. Everyone gets invited, even if you don't like them. Even if it's somebody that you don't really care for, that you've had a falling out with, you invite them because that's the way the Toda works. It's an opportunity for 
a captive audience to tell people about what God has done. See, you don't do this. It's not compulsory. And so you're doing all of this and you get all of these people together around all of this food, right? That's how we know that the Jews were Baptists in the Old Testament. Lots of food. If you have food, then people will come. Man, y'all are a tough crowd this morning. Lots of food, captive audience, everyone's there. It tells us in Leviticus 7, you can't have leftovers. So it's not that you just invite a handful of people and you say, hey, everybody, go home and put it in your icebox. There are no iceboxes. All this food's going to go to waste, so we got to invite as many people as we possibly can. And then when you leave, if there's anything with you, take it. And then if somebody, you're one of your neighbors, somebody you couldn't make it, somebody who was paralyzed, somebody that was blind, bring the todah offering to them. And what we see is it foreshadows sufficiency in Christ. It's the one offering that goes on forever and ever. When Jesus fulfilled all of the sacrifices, the whole sacrificial system, Everything ends in Jesus, but thanksgiving goes on forever and ever. Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard about it, that's he heard about John's beheading, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. And what we see in that feeding of the 5,000 is exactly what the Todah offering of Leviticus 7 tells us about. There was an offering of just a few fish, just a few loaves, but what it foreshadowed is Jesus offering himself. We see in Isaiah 53, 5, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. We look at the huge cost. The disciples said, to feed this number of people, Jesus, it's going to cost half a year's wages. Half a year's wages! But the cost was even greater than that because it foreshadowed Jesus. On the cross, the Lamb of God giving himself away for all of us, a cost that can't be measured. A huge crowd Invite everyone that you know, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, maybe up to 40,000 people. But that's not it. Jesus offered himself as the todah, sacrifice, the offering for all humanity. Everyone's invited to the banquet table. It's an opportunity, huge crowd in those days, now, everyone who hears the gospel, there's a huge crowd. There's no leftovers. See, whatever's left over, you take it with you. You bring it home. Distribute the gospel to everyone that you know. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you shared the gospel this week, this month, this year? See, what we don't see in Scripture except for a rare occasion, is thanksgiving. And thanksgiving looks like sharing the gospel. Well, that's your job, pastor. You do it. You share the gospel. I am. 
and it's my privilege to do so. But what about you? Is there an exception? Is there an exception clause that if you write your check, if you give in the tithe box, if you support some sort of humanitarian efforts or some parachurch organization, I'm out. I get to write my check and that takes care of my part. Somebody else gets to do it. Careful. I don't see that in Scripture. John 6.11, what we find out, I hinted to you just a moment ago, the disciples said, Jesus, it's too late. This place is too remote. We have too little food. It's going to cost too much. It's too inconvenient. Send them away. Jesus wasn't about to send him away because, as we said earlier, Jesus had prayed for a toda opportunity. Hearing that John was dead in that remote place, alone by himself, he prayed, and he asked God the Father for an opportunity, and the Father provided. That's a disciple's response. In John 6, 36, we read the crowd's response. John 6, 36 If you're wondering how I know that the crowd didn't respond positively, Jesus coming along the next day, it says in verse 22, the crowd had stayed on the other side of the sea. There had only been one boat. They also saw Jesus. He'd not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. And the crowd comes back, as it tells us, in the area of Capernaum. They're looking for Jesus. Why are they looking for Jesus? Why are they looking for Jesus? To give thanks? No. They're hungry again. We're hungry from yesterday, and we know that this guy has food. There is no record of anyone giving thanks the day before. There's no record of anyone giving thanks the day after. And as the story goes on, the people are asking, they say in verse 28... What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. That's Jesus. So they respond in 30, what sign then are you going to do? What will you perform that we may see and believe you? Really? Where were you yesterday? When all we had were a few fish and a few loaves, And a crowd of 20, 30, 40,000 people were fed. And now the very next day, they're asking Jesus, what are you going to do for us today? What are you going to do today, Jesus? That's old news. What miracle are you going to perform? Jesus goes on in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen. You've seen me. And yet you still don't believe. You've seen. And yet you still don't believe. Crowd. They don't really want Jesus. They want more food. They want more miracles. They want more healing. 
How does Jesus know there's no thanksgiving? In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, give you just a moment to turn there. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, it's the story of the first Lord's Supper. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired, I have eagerly desired, I have anticipated to eat this Passover with you, Jesus, about to go to the cross, knowing that he's going to die, that he's going to be scourged, says that I've eagerly anticipated this moment to eat the Passover with you before I go to the cross and die for your sins. I've eagerly desired this moment, this opportunity. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until... It is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after doing what? Giving thanks. After giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread and did what? He gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this. Do what? Do what? We're Christians. And we participate in this month after month, year after year. And someone asks, Do what? Jesus is about to give himself away. He's calling us as followers to do the same, to give ourselves away. For whoever holds on to their life loses it. Whoever gives their life away finds it. Give yourselves away. And the meal isn't ceremony, it's not ritual. It's something that Jesus calls us to do as followers, to give thanks. If someone were to ask you, are you truly a thankful person? Are you? Are you truly a thankful person? As parents, if you are a parent, one of the things that drives parents crazy when children become teenagers, some of them before they become teenagers, is a sense of entitlement. Sitting back like baby chicks with their mouths open, gimme, 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 gimme. What now? Hey, could you take the trash out? (sighs) Seriously? I got to pick up that plastic bag that weighs like two pounds and I got to carry it all the way to the back door? Seriously? As Christians... Aren't we kind of the same way? Jesus, you want me to do what? You want me to drive to church in the rain? You want me to sit in a sanctuary that's a little bit cold? It's not the optimal temperature today? You want me to do what, Jesus? Are we truly a thankful people? Are you truly a thankful person? 
Jesus. He's our Todah. He is our thanksgiving. After Jesus sacrificed himself and goes to the cross, he promised that he'd send the Comforter, the Parakletos, the Holy Spirit, right? He said, I'm going to heaven, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Counselor, and he's going to be with you, and he's going to teach you, and he's going to lead you, and he's going to guide you to fulfill all righteousness so that you can do everything the Father has commanded. On that day of Pentecost, up until that point, we rarely, if ever, see thanksgiving in Scripture. And then after it, after Pentecost, especially in the Apostle Paul, we see thanksgiving over and over and over again. Thanksgiving. Paul writes it. You can look it up. You can do a word search. Constantly, Paul writes to the churches, and one of the things he always says, I give thanks for you. I give thanks for you. I give thanks. I am your Toda offering just as Jesus' Toda offering was for us. I am to you. I'm willing to endure hardships. I'm willing to be shipwrecked. I'm willing to be stoned, to be beaten with rods, to be chased and persecuted. I'm willing to do so. I've learned the secret to be content in each and every circumstance and situation. What is it? What is it? To be thankful. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's thanksgiving. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, if you want to know what it's going to look like when we get home, Revelation does a really good job of spoiling it for us. Revelation chapter 7 Who's present? Who's present in that chapter? Who's there? What's that? There's a great multitude. It's all of the redeemed, right? It's a great multitude, and they're dressed in white, and they're waving palm branches. Jesus is there, the lamb that was slain. We have the elders. We have the four living creatures. And what are they all doing? They're singing, amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving. If you're not doing it now, what makes you think you're going to do it when you get to heaven. And if the people who are doing it in heaven are the ones that feel that way, and you don't feel that way now, what makes you think you're going to be in heaven? Jesus is there. The great multitude is there. The angels, the elders, the four living creatures, and they're singing in a thunderous voice, giving thanks. Revelation Chapter 19, 
as we said earlier, the todah, the thanksgiving offering, there's a lot of food. Jesus foreshadowed it at the Last Supper. It's a marriage banquet. And here we are in Revelation 19, beginning in verse 6. Then I heard something like a voice and great number of waters rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. We don't see it much in Scripture. We don't see it in Genesis. We don't see it in Exodus. We don't see it in Leviticus. We don't see it from Adam. We don't see it from Noah. We saw it from a little shepherd boy rejected by his family, chased by the king, hiding in caves. And he gave thanks in each and every circumstance. As I said, as a country, as a nation, as families, this past week, many of us, we celebrated the national holiday Thanksgiving. But are we truly thankful? Are we? I know the Sunday school answer, yes, we're thankful. But are we? Are we thankful in all circumstances? Did you get a bad health report this week? What was your default response? Why God? Why me? Why now? Why this? Or was it Thanksgiving? Are we truly thankful? As we lean into God's word and we see what Jesus had to do and what he had to say, be thankful in all things. He's our todah. He's our thanksgiving sacrifice. Today, during this time of response, it's an opportunity to respond. What do we do? Do we just feel guilt and shame and condemnation because I'm not as thankful as I should be? Or do we call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me to be mindful of who you are, to be thankful for all things? to pray as you did for opportunities for a crowd. People to gather together that I could tell them not about the latest football scores, not about the renovation to our sanctuary, not about how many people came on Sunday or what songs we sang, but about you, what you've done in my life, the testimony that you are, that you redeem me, that you pick me up out of the pit, that I could never leave on my own by my own power, and that you set my feet upon a rock. And you did that willingly. You are our Todah offering. How will you respond today? How will you respond?